morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the coaching staff. I am here with Mr. Tony D. Viss. Is your first name Anthony? On nope, your birth certificate? Just Tony. Just Tony? Just, just yeah. boring, just Tony. Just boring Tony. Just boring Tony. <laughs> Let's call you BT now, Boring Tony. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, 34 seconds. <laughs> uh, Mr. Tony Davis is here. Uh, we are here to discuss episode number 45, Analytics versus the Eye Test. Uh, this is a good idea by Tony. Uh, you've, been on a, you've been on a hot streak here. With, this with one's the, yours, buddy. Was it mine? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we can tell we were in a real tight ship here at a pen and a napkin. So, <laughs> um, so uh, before we get going, let's let's try to get something accomplished here. Uh, episode number forty-five. I have uh, I have four uniform numbers, Tony. I thought there would be more, but I could only find four prominent number forty-fives. Um, I've got. Now, here's the deal. Here's the tricky part of it. I've got one football. I've got three baseballs and one basketball, but only four players. Ooh. I'm guessing one of them is a baseball manager? Uh, no. No? no. Okay. No. <laughs> huh. There's four individuals, one football player, three baseball players, and a basketball player. Okay. So five numbers. I'm assuming is Jordan when he came back after the first retirement. That is correct. Along with okay. he wore 45 as a baseball player as well. So there's Ooh. where the the double goes there. The so, double. Yes. When he was with the White Sox. Yes, the Birmingham Barons. So, yeah. Uh, so now you're down to a running back and two pitchers. <sighs> Running back. Let's go there first because I have no idea on baseball. Um, I'll give you a hint. Fullback or, or tailback? Tailback, okay. who uh, was a much better college player than he was pro. He got he got he got all his flowers as a college player. I want to say Lindale White, but I don't think that's right. I think he was 21. That is incorrect. Um, shoot. Ron Dane. No. No. Hmm. I don't think I'm going to get this one, Clark. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, Clark. <laughs> um, Archie Griffin. Um, oh, yeah. The only state. Two-time Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then two pitchers. Two pitchers. Yes. What eras are we looking at? Uh, one was dominant in the 60s, and the other one was dominant in the 90s and early aughts. Ooh. It's not Clemens, is it? Nope. Okay. 
Because <laughs> I think he was like 21 or something like that. Yeah, that was his major number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shoot. Sandy Koufax. Nope. Jim Cott. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't know. It's a bad day today. Like yeah, these 45s. Yeah. Bob Gibson. Pedro Martinez. Ooh, Pedro. I yes. should have stayed with the Red Sox when I said Clemens. Yeah, yeah. Right franchise. I should have given you that hint. Right franchise. That's that's my failure, Tony. It's my failure. Sorry, and I'm gonna ha- plus was not good to us today. I, I am going to have to live with that failure, and, and I just... <laughs> I think you'll be okay. Okay, all right. I'll try to be okay. Uh, episode number 45, Analytics versus the eye test. Apparently, this was my idea. Uh, okay, all right. I'll run with it. Uh, Tony, where are you at on this? You know, where are you at when it comes to analytics versus the eye test? You know, obviously, uh, we don't like to use the O word as far as being old, seasoned, experienced, whatever other... Seasoned and experienced, yes. Yeah, words you want to throw in there. Um, Obviously, probably could be described as old school, but yet, when you take a look at analytics, there are things that that jump out. As the game has changed, obviously, the three-point shot is is a major part of it. And one of the things I have a conversation with our kids with, because again, coaching kind of younger players, trying to build up confidence and help them understand that is like, hey, if you shot 50% from two, would that be good? Yeah, it'd be great. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you made three out of six, 50%. You with me? Yep. Okay. So let's go behind the three-point line. Six shots. How many do you need to make to get to six? And they're pretty good at this one. Two. Okay, so that's 33%. Chalk one up for the Cedar Rapids Public School District there. Yes, put put one there. Um, But anyway, just trying to get them to understand that you're not going to make 50% of your threes most likely. I mean, if you're in the 40s, you're fantastic. Um, But you've got to be willing to be – you've got to have to be able to deal with a little bit of failure. Uh, But we we shoot the three, depending upon the year. Uh, My first year, we we were were very long. We had a lot of height, and so we would – we ran Kansas high-low game, didn't take a lot of threes, depending upon the opponent, but probably teens to upper teens sometimes. And then last year's group, our center was like six foot, six foot one. So we, on average, would take low to mid-20s with threes in games because of the lack of size. Um, and so there's that acceptable part of it. And then, you know, you hear people that really kind of, you know, talk poorly about the mid-range game, um, you know, and, and stuff. And I get, you know, mid-range isn't probably your greatest. A lot of people emphasize the three and a layup and stuff like that. But there are times that you see, especially late in a shot clock, end of a game, you got to have a pull-up. You have to be able to hit the mid-range. But it's not something that we emphasize a lot, but you have to be able to do it Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, those those situations that I described earlier. Um, But, yeah, analytics, you know, we want to get to the free throw line and different things like that. But something that we've accepted – but at the same time, I think if you're just an analytics person, you are missing out on some big parts of the game that analytics doesn't necessarily highlight a lot. I agree with pretty much everything you said, sir. Um, I, I think that, and, and it's kind of ironic because uh, by the time people hear this on Friday, uh, they will have had a few days to soak up uh, Coach Moore's uh, uh, interview podcast that we had earlier this week, 
and he had, I think he said, I think he attributed it to Frank Martin. Uh, we got a bunch of kids, you know, this is a generation that's really good against cones, but not very good against bones, uh, was the quote that, that he's, that he used. And, you know, man, that, that, that hit me pretty good when I, when I was thinking about today's topic for us, because, uh, kind of that Daryl Morey, um, let's just do the math formula, the Bill James from baseball. It's kind of ironic. Uh, my daughter watched Moneyball for the first time the other night and, you know, seeing all that other stuff. And again, there is room for that. Um, but I think there are times where we have become so uh, mechanical in, in a lot of ways. And and that goes for our analysis. Now, uh, there, there are certain statistics that you could take and you could say, hey, this is real. This is this is the deciding factor. or This, you know, this is why we made this trade or whatever it may be. But I do think that the eye test still has a big part in it. I I would say at minimum it's got to be. I, I think your analytics has to be at least half of it, or mm-hmm. at the most is is half of it. But I still think there's a place for man. You, you there's got to be a feel for it. There's got to be something that you can just see that pops at you. Um, a lot of people will take a look at film or they'll take a look at their opponent. And and again, I think there are many, many things that you look at statistically as you get ready for your next competition. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, uh, my guy Bob Starkey talked about is he still watches film from start to finish. He watches the mm-hmm. game. There's a certain flow to it. There's a certain feel to it that you can only pick up by watching the game that you can't just watch by clips or you, that you watch by trends. Now, if the trend is so big that, you know, hey, Marty Plum really struggles shooting outside of 10 feet, well, yeah, okay, the the, the stats tell us that, so we're going to leave Marty Plum open outside of 10 feet. Uh, don't let him have anything inside 10 feet or whatever it may be. Uh, but I, I think that those there, there are certain stats that, that you have to take a look at, but at the same time, you can make stats lie for you both to make you look better than what you are or worse than what you are. And I'm guessing you've probably done that, Tony. Have you? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you probably have heard the quote before, statistics lie and liars use statistics. Uh And, you know, you have those things that are out there. I was fortunate enough, I don't remember how many years ago now, but a buddy of mine had gotten in touch with uh, Dave Arsenault. I don't know if you know that name, uh, but he was at Grinnell. And back in the day when Grinnell would put up 140, 150 points, and he goes, hey, Tony, I got an opportunity to go and talk to this guy. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah. And so I hopped in, and Dave was a great guy, very personable. Uh, we stayed so long, I think he ended up feeding us supper. Um, <laughs> but he had some things in there. You know, you have your best players, your two best players, one's in one group, the other's in the other group, that want to shoot the ball within six seconds. It's either a three or a layup defensively. They're going to try to con you into doing something similar to play their game. And if you can hit free throw jumpers, they're going to try to get you off their schedule unless you're in their conference and they can't get you off your schedule. (laughs) And there's just some things in there like it was all based upon mathematical formula. And Dave was very, very successful, took a Division three program, got him on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, a lot of what he talked about in my mind and again, That's a very small, simple thing. But in my mind, screamed against the very essence of what I had learned from studying Wooden or Coach K or whoever. It was like, you know, 
statistics and analytics are nice, but at the same time, the eye test, what you see, what's tried and proven and has a track record also has to be factored in there as well. And I agree that you have to use it to a certain extent. I think 50% at the most, like what you said, is, is a fair is a fair point. Um, but yeah, those are things that, that you know, I, I take a look at and, and I go back to this day as far as taking a look at both analytics and, and the eye test. Yeah. So what are, if you're looking at stats, Tony, what are some, whether they're the advanced stats, whether they're your basic stats, uh, what are some things that you look at that are important to you to the Kennedy program? Maybe what are some statistics that John emphasizes that uh, that that has helped you be successful? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is winning the battle of the boards. Mm-hmm. Um, rebounding is a big thing for us. Uh, a lot of times, we'll put a goal of where we want to out rebound the other team by at least ten. And I know that's a great number. I mean, you have to actually put the work in to go and do it uh, and different things like that. And sometimes you have some things factored in there. Um, we want to hold a team uh, from two-point percentage to 33% or less. Uh, you know, And we want to give up less than, I think it's seven offensive rebounds. Um, and we want, to, you know, we want to force them into over 20 turnovers. Uh, we feel like if we can do that with our press, we're going to put ourselves in some pretty good positions. Um, you know, and with the group that we have next year, uh, they'll have the green light to shoot the three, uh, even our center. It's not like he's going to shoot probably more than one or two a game, but all five guys that we'll put on the floor will have the ability to knock down the three-point shot. And so I'm sure one of the things that we'll talk about, you know, is getting, you know, a, a certain number of three-point attempts up. But those are kind of the big ones for us as far as, like, rebound margin, uh, we give them early on in the year. We allow, you know, we, we'll put up there. We want to do 15 turnovers or less. By the time we get to Christmas, that thing's down to 12. By the time we get somewhere in January, that number's dropped to 10. Mm-hmm. And we'll have, you know, we've kind of transitioned a little bit, you know, talking about analytics and different things like that to where we're kind of positionless. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. have time. Uh, our center probably won't bring the ball up the court a whole lot, but the other four guys will have will have situations where it won't probably be a fourth for everybody, but we'll have times where all four guys will initiate our offense and get us into a set. And yeah. so those are some things that we, we kind of build upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start with what you talked about with the rebounding. I, I think that rebounding and turnovers are the two areas on the the old school stats that I go to first Tony mm-hmm. uh you know I think that kind of in my mind if we I, I think that you have to put an emphasis on one or the other if you can rebound if you can out rebound your opponents by x amount of game uh let's say five you know uh five six seven mm-hmm. or you're going to force seven more turnovers than you, you know, than you make. Um, you know, you win the rebound battle forty to thirty-three, you're probably going to be in good shape. Or if you win the turnover battle twenty to thirteen, you're probably going to be in good shape. If you win both by plus seven, you're going to be in really, really good shape. You should be, uh, unless uh, we kind of had a game last year where we just defied every single statistic possible. Uh, I'll try to look it up here real quick. But we shot, uh, we shot twenty more shots than our opponent. Um, we, oh darn it, I got it. I, 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 I've got it here. Hold on, hold on. 
Uh, we, we outshot our opponent by 20 shots for the game. Uh, we out-rebounded them by, I want to say, 12, some crazy number. And we forced 10 more turnovers. And we lost. I mean, it was just it was just like you're looking at it going, we are kicking the crap out of these people. And we're losing. How is this possibly happening? You know, and, and we just, you know, a lot of our rebounds were off of our own misses and we you know we'd go three four five possessions get five shots and and not put it in you know so it, it didn't count so so the, you do have those statistical anomalies that that come along but uh it, it happens uh, but but i always go to when, when i think of the traditional statistics i go right to the rebounding and and turnovers and we have to be dominant in one of those two categories over the next four or five years, it's probably going to be turnovers. That if, if we can dominate the turnover category with the uh, athleticism that we believe that we're developing, we're probably going to be in good shape. We, we got to be even on the boards. Now, you can't, you can't win the turnover battle by seven and lose the rebounding battle by seven. You need to tread water in the other one, in my opinion. Uh, and so that's, that's the big one that I look at. Coaches, do you want to look good? Stupid question. Of course you want to look good. We all want to look good. You know what's the best way to look good? Buying yourself some a pen and a napkin merchandise. We've got some really, really good looking stuff here. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts and you are not going to regret picking that up. T-shirts are $22 a piece. Sweatshirts are $30 a piece. If I need to mail it to you, it's just $5 shipping and handling to get this good looking stuff out to you. Coaches, I appreciate all that you've done for me over the last three years or so with a pen and a napkin. I hope I've been able to help you out. Might as well come out and help out the Twitter handle and the podcast by ordering some a pen and a napkin merchandise. And like I said, you get to look good. If you're interested in ordering, you can DM me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin and send me a direct message. Or you can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com and I'll get you those ordering details so that you can order some a pen and a napkin merchandise. Now, Marty, would you say that as a young coach going up, this is kind of like what your mentors emphasize with you with those two with rebounding and turnovers? Or has that been something that just through like mathematics, studying the game and different things like that that you've come up with? Uh, I, a little bit of both, mainly me. And I think it changes with every team. I, I believe that you have to take a look at your team. Like, you know, for the last two or three years, we haven't been very big. And we're still not going to be very big this year, but we're going to be bigger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we're going to be, that, that length is going to be, Five nine five ten. We don't have a, a six two. Just sweep the glass, put in front of the rim, and you're not going to get anything easy there. And not very many teams have that. So for for us or for me, the the evolution of my thought process has been, you know, looking at the games that we've been successful, looking at the games that we haven't been successful, and really breaking that down. And okay, on on our basic statistics, on just the box score statistics. It's rebounds and turnovers, and you have to, if you're going to be really successful, you have to dominate one of those two categories on a consistent basis. Dominate one, tread water in the other one. And if you can do that, then you're going to be, then you got a chance to, to have some success, along with, you know, hitting some shots, getting some stops, 
you know, those type of things, you know? So, uh, that's, that's kind of where I've evolved from Tony. So, okay. Cause mine was more like with Tony DiCecco, the old UNI women's coach, his big thing was rebounding. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with us working Bill's camp at Iowa state, shoot it before you turn it over. Sure. You know? And so those were kind of some, some influences in those areas for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, let's dive a little bit deeper here, Tony. Uh, do you do anything with, you know, what we would call advanced analytics? Uh, is there anything that you share with your team, like effective field goal percentage or plus minus, or is it anything that you look at there that affects we your thought? We did a little bit into plus minus uh, with them, but I would not say that we really emphasize a lot of advanced. Now, John, on the other hand, I don't know how much he shares, but with Huddle, you can get what's called, I think it's Huddle Gold or something like that. I can't remember Huddle exactly Assist what it is. is what it's called. Yeah. And they will give you all kinds of stuff as far as like advanced analytics, where they shoot the most on this side of the floor, what's their percentage from all different quadrants and things like that. And like I said, I don't know how much he shares on the scouting reports with the guys, but he'll do some of that stuff with them. Yeah. See, I've, I've, you know, we have that Huddle Assist and that has become really invaluable to me. Now it takes about 24 hours for it to generate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when, when we get it back, uh, I've really started taking a look at it, especially when it comes to our individual kids. Uh, I've gotten pretty big into the plus minus, you know, where are you at? Plus are, are you helping? Are we better when you're on the floor uh, is, is a big part of that for me. Um, another thing that I love about it, especially in girls basketball and, and not to say that it doesn't carry over to boys basketball as well, but what we call the scoring zone or, you know, uh, in the NBA, it's the restricted zone or whatever. Mm-hmm. How well are we, basically, how are we making layups? How well are we making layups? And, uh, you know, we really take a look at that and we'll put it up there and we'll say, hey, you know, one of our big bugaboos and one of the things that we've really emphasized this year, uh, this, this summer, is making layups. Like, we're getting a ton of layups, but when you only shoot 45% on layups and we need to shoot 60% on layups, look, if we'd have shot 60% on layups, girls, look how many more games we would have won. You know, and again, I know nobody goes up and says, I'm going to blow this layup, but hey, you know, we got to make these layups. So that's something that I go to pretty quickly after we get our huddle report back as well. Plus minus, uh, scoring zone, and then uh, the third big one for me is points per possession. Uh if you can average a point per possession on offense in a high school game, it's approximately around 60 possessions. So in, in girls basketball, probably more in guys, I would guess, Tony. Um, but, you know, if you're averaging 60, 60 points a game, you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to win a lot of games if you're averaging 1.0 points per possession. If you can hold your opponent to about 0.85 points per possession, that's a really big one there. So that's another one, you know, when it comes to advanced statistics um, and, and that analytical look at it, uh, those are three big ones that I jump to right away. Yeah, and those are all, like I said, we, we kind of dive a little bit with plus minus. The points per possession, uh, I kind of messed around with that a little bit last year um, somewhat. And then, like you said, the, the layup thing, but ours is more – from a defensive perspective as far as where they're getting shots. And again, that's more varsity than what I do with my sophomore guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you, uh, as a program, do anything else with uh, 
what we call hustle board stats. Do you do anything with breaking that down, Tony? No. Okay. Uh, I, I, I put this together, and, and one of the things that we haven't done as well as I would like, but the plan is this year with a little bit more help around us that we're going to break this down more. But I think when you're talking analytics, I also think that there's other things that you can do. And, and so our plan this year uh, is to have uh, a coach break down the film for uh, every coach is going to take a look at the, the, the previous night's game. And what I want to do is to put together some sort of report guard for each game. All right. So, uh, Coach Plum is going to break down um, just overall thoughts. You know, I'm just going to take the the thirty thousand fo- uh, foot view and and break down that that part of it. Here's my observations. Here's what we did. Uh, Coach Durow is going to. You know, I'm going to have her, and she does a great job with this. She's going to break down our shot quality and to help us out there. Uh, Coach Eastman uh, is going to. Uh, break down kind of some of the trends, some of the things that he's saying. And then uh, my son hopefully will be breaking down what we call our hustle board stats. So some things that I'm looking for him to chart. Uh, how many charges did we take? Uh, how many, you know, how did we do on 50-50s? Screen assists, paint touches, uh, helping a teammate off the floor. You know, you try to take a charge, Tony. Are you going, if you're on the floor, are you going to pick you up after you get back up off the floor? You know, that type of thing. Uh, in our defense, you know, helping with gaps. Do you did did you get a gap stop when somebody drove to the basket? On offense, uh, did you get a you know did you get paint touches? Uh, things like that, and just those intangibles, I think are chartable. And you can say to your kids, hey, you know, we kicked the snot out of Kennedy uh, two weeks ago, and on our hustle board stats, we had 175 points, absolutely awesome. Last night. We, you know, we lost, you know, we beat East High by two and we should have beat them by 40. Well, take a look at our hustle board. We only had 96 points on our hustle board. We weren't ready to play because we weren't playing as hard because we weren't taking charges. We weren't picking teammates up off the floor. Uh, We weren't winning 50-50s, you know, all of these different things. And I think that's, you know, that's not pure analytics, but I think those are intangible analytics that you can use to help evaluate your team and evaluate your players and, to make your team better and make them more aware of those things while they're out on the floor. You know, and you bring up some good points because in preparation for this, one of the things I did a little bit of research on, uh, Greg Berg is the guy uh, that, that on Twitter, and he was saying that analytics don't show everything. He loves analytics, but they don't show everything. And then he goes on to mention that there are five things that don't appear in box scores that help teams win. And some of the things you were talking about, hustle plays, loose balls, taking a charge, diving on the ground, communication with teammates. Um, Again, he has a thing in there, show me a quiet team and you will see a losing team. Mm -hmm. Touches, fist bumps, high fives, pats on the back, and it mentions Steve Nash averaged 239 high fives a game. Um, Energy level, leadership, those were some of the the categories that he put in there Mm -hmm. that he said, you know, that – he loves analytics, but analytics don't show everything. And those are some of the things that he mentions from his side of things that aren't analytics that really help teams win. Yeah. And, and I think that's a way, you know, on every possession, only one kid's going to score and only one kid's going to get that assist. But also on every possession, every player can take a charge. 
Every player can get into a gap. Every player can dive on the floor and win a 50-50. Every player can pick up uh, a, a player that's that's on, on the floor. Um, one of the things that we, we try to do and I'm watching for, when a player comes out of the game, are the players getting up off the bench? If I can see it on film, are the players getting up off the bench and, and congratulating that player? Are they giving them a high five? What's our, our, our bench touches like you were talking about with Nash, Tony? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, those type, of, those type of things there. And those things, again, show you it's, it's another way for you to teach the intangibles of the game. And you can, you can say, again, kind of getting back to the example that I used before, when we beat Kennedy, look at where we were at and look how you guys were really ready to go that night. And, you know, here's, here's how it showed. And, you know, against East High, look at this. We, were, we can say, well, we weren't ready to play, but here is it without a, a shadow of a doubt analytically that this shows that we were just not ready to play kids and we've got to be better than this. And and that's what I like about that. And I think sometimes I understand plus minus, I understand uh, effective field goal percentage and all of these different things. But sometimes it's those things that are, you, you can have all the effective field goal percentage that you want, but those, those core principles of, of just playing with that energy, focus, determination, selflessness, that it's really going to lead you to more victories than it will some other statistics, you know, that a lot of our kids won't even understand. Yeah, because a lot of times the teams that the team that plays harder, I'm guessing wins probably 70 plus percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to get into all of the other things if you can take care of the main thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the other things about the eye test, it's it's hard to underestimate. Like you take a look at, and there's numerous players in situations. You know, Draymond Green right now is an eye test player. You could just tell that guy affects the game in so many different ways. But analytically, he probably doesn't grade out as as well as a hundred guys in the league. But he affects the game at such a high level in so many different ways. His communication. Uh, the way him and Steph play together, uh, you know, Jamal Murray and, and Jokic, you know, Jamal Murray, would he be as good without Jokic? I still think he'd be really, really good, but would he be as good? You know, that type of thing. And I think that eye test type of thing is also so very, very invaluable that when, when players have chemistry, when teams have chemistry, it's, it's hard to describe if we could put our magic finger on it, uh, Everybody would do it, obviously, but I, I think that eye test is so important. But you use the analytics to build up and help evaluate that. And sometimes you don't realize things. You know, I, I had a player in the past. It's like I knew she was playing poorly, and then we checked her. We checked her plus minus, and then we checked her turnover to assist ratio. It's like, oh my gosh, this is worse than what we thought it was. And so I think those things when mom and dad come knocking when the player comes into your office and says, how come I'm not playing more? How come, you know, Billy's playing ahead of me, whatever it may be. I think those are things that you can help explain your situation. Say, Hey, it's not just me that's seeing this. Here's the statistics that are backing it up. That you're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, Billy. It's not that you're a bad person, but we're just a better basketball team when you're not playing as much. And I, and that's, those are tough conversations to have, but you know, just as well as I do, Tony, and we've both been in that situation where when you have to, 
have tough conversations, it's best to have as much evidence on your side to show that, you know, we're not just making this decision. Just, you know, it's not because we just don't like you, Billy. It's because the statistics bear out that Kennedy's better with you on the bench than on the floor. Yeah. It's basketball is kind of a more subjective sport than Mm -hmm. what track is. Yeah. But at the same time, if you have film, if you have statistics to back up your viewpoint, it always makes those conversations carry more weight, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's hard to deny that, you know, you you can't, you know, if, if the plus minus says, you know, Tony, we're, you know, over the span of a hundred possessions, we're eight points worse with you on the on the floor. Uh, and if Billy plays, we're nine points better. It's it's hard. It's 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 not a very debatable thing at that point. It's not a very debatable yeah. thing, especially when you're at the varsity level. Uh, you know. So, uh, anything else on this, Tony? You know, the only other thing I would add is this. I think sometimes the way that we play offensively and defensively have to mesh together. Like if you're a pressing team defensively, Mm. you probably want to be a fast break team offensively. I hope that makes sense. Yep. And then I think analytics and eye test should have kind of a similar relationship Mm -hmm. where they mesh together. Like the things that you emphasize analytically are also those things that you are watching for from the eye test standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it should be, you know, an, a very interesting ratio, whether it's 50, 50 or whatever the case may be. But again, that, that, that synergy, that meshing of things, I think is so very, very important. Yeah. I think one of the big ones with that one, Tony, I think you bring up a great point is deflections on defense. Well, if you're an attacking defense and you're uh, whether that's half court or full court, and you're looking to get up and put a ton of pressure on the ball and overplay and force people back door on you and that type of thing, then yeah, then you want high deflection numbers. But if you're a pack line team, if you're a passive two three zone team, and you're just saying, hey, go ahead and chuck it and duck it, and then you go to your team and say, we're not getting enough deflections. Well, your your emphasis of your or, or the principles that you're teaching on defense cannot match the numbers that you hope to reach with the statistic. And so you have to match that up for, for us. I remember our first year, I, I said, you know, we kind of went with the Pete Carrill. We're not sending anybody to the board unless we're right next to the basket. We're, we're getting back and we're not really going to worry about getting a ton of offensive rebounds, but we're sure as heck not going to give up anything in transition. So I couldn't go to my kids and go, how come we only had three offensive rebounds last night? Well, because, because we're sending, three, four, five kids back sometimes. We're, we're not going to hit the glass because we don't feel like that's our strength. So, you have, you know, I, I agree with you there, Tony, that you have, to, you have to emphasize the stuff that is important to you and teach it in the right way. So, I think that makes sense. I think we're on the same page, aren't we? I think so. Okay. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter 
send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. You know who else is on the same page with us, though, Tony? The top rock band of all time, Europe. Those are our guys from Sweden. They are Europe, and it is time for the a pen and a napkin, the coaching staff trivia question. Tony, it's my turn. Are you ready, it sir? It is. After my performance on 45s, who knows? <laughs> I think this is. A, I think it's realistic for you. I think it's a good one. I think it'll challenge you, yet be realistic. All right? NFL. Sounds like a play. NFL. Jeez, what am I talking about? NBA draft. Last Thursday night. Victor Wembenyama selected number one overall. Metropolitan 92s out of Paris. Wembenyama obviously did not play college basketball. How many other number one overall picks did not play college basketball? Who, Nelly? LeBron obviously didn't. Oh, uh, um, uh, let me rephrase that. I screwed up, Tony. I screwed up the wording of the question. How uh, many of them did not? Uh, how many of them did not play college or high school basketball in the United States? They they foreign players. How many you know players that you know like a Wembenyana who they were playing for a club team abroad and not within the states? So that's 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 what I meant. Three. Three? Does, yeah. that, does that include Wembenyama or not? That's up to you. I don't. Are we including him? Do you want to include him? Let's include him. Then you are correct, sir. Yes. Then you are correct. Can you name the other two? Wembenyama is one. Who are the other two? Um. Hmm. I don't think I can get him. One one is uh, pretty well known. Um, he, uh, I'll give it to you, Yao Ming. Okay. Okay. And the other one, if you'd have gotten it, I'd have been pretty impressed. Uh, Danilo Bargnani. Bar- oh, Bar- yeah. That was the one that went to the Knicks, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, I believe he was, I think he was from Italy is where he came from. So Yeah. Barnani or something Bar- like Bar- that? Barnani. Yeah. But yeah. Something like that. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Those are the two. Now, I, I did find this interesting. There have been, including those three gentlemen, 12 players were born outside of the United States and were number one overall picks. All right? Hmm. Mike, uh, Michael Thompson was born in the Bahamas. Bahamas. Yep. Akeem Olajuwon. Nigeria? Yes, I believe so. Uh, let me look this up here. Hold on. I got to go back and look. I believe it was Nigeria. Yes, Nigeria. Michael Oluwakandi. 
that was the candy man that's candy man he was somewhere in the caribbean maybe nope nigeria as well nigeria also yeah uh yao from china andrea andrea bargnani from italy uh anthony anthony bennett was born in canada eh? yeah Followed by another Canadian Revolution. Yes, another Canuck, Andrew Wiggins. Carl Anthony Towns was actually born in the Dominican Republic. (laughs) Uh, Ben Simmons from Australia. DeAndre Ayton from the Bahamas. And then Wimbanyama from France. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Truly a global game. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, Uh, all right. This week in basketball, Tony. This week in basketball, um, let's talk about the draft. What did you think of the draft? How did you think it went? It was kind of chalky, and what I mean by that is I thought there might be some moves. You know, I thought, well, here comes Zion to Portland for the three pick or whatever. Um, you know, and, and it really wasn't. I think uh, I always butcher this guy's name, Gavoni, uh, ended up yeah. with 28 out of the 31st round picks or something like that. Wow. So he was, I mean, he didn't always get them in the right spot, but he got, mm-hmm. but he got the guys that went in the first round. Um, yeah, not a lot of, you know, surprises. I think they're kind of waiting for the shoe to fall here on Friday mm-hmm. with uh, NBA free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing I thought was probably the most interesting to me was Cam Whitmore projected to go in the lottery, went number 20. Yeah. And you, you heard some poor workouts, not mature, and then maybe some, some concerns with the meniscus. Yep. Uh, knee. I, he- I heard knee. Um, is that what it was? Was meniscus? That's what I thought they were talking about. Yeah, it okay. was a meniscus. Yeah. He, uh, lottery talent, uh, you know, but yeah, he, and, and every year it happens. There's one person that free falls, and I, I thought it was funny, Jay Billis. I heard him say multiple times before the draft, "If you don't think Cam Whitmore, if 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 teams don't think Cam Whitmore should be a a lottery pick, just have him take off his shirt." And apparently, uh, he's a pretty cut dude, you know, kind of like you and I, yeah, Tony. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I I thought it was a pretty yeah chalky draft. Uh, I was I was surprised. I thought Charlotte would take Scoot. I I really did. Uh, I I thought that was the better draft. I'm a Scoot guy, man. Any, anybody who's got a motor like that, it's hard for me just to that that kid's just going to be good just because he's just going to work his tail off. And and I I love kids with with motors like that. Not to say that Brandon Miller doesn't have a motor or the Thompson twins don't have a motor or anything like that. But uh, that's where I'm going to air at. Uh, on the side of the the kid that's just got a really really big motor, so uh, I was a little surprised that the the kind of like everybody else, Jet Howard going as as high as he did. Uh, my dad and I got a chance to watch uh, Michigan uh, up front uh, at the Big Ten tournament. Uh, this year against Rutgers, we had really, really, really good seats. Lower bowl, about fifteen rows up, right at about midcourt for the game. So, it was, it was, it was some good seats in the United Center, and I just wasn't terribly impressed with with uh, 
with Jawan Howard's son. Uh, again, that's just me. Uh, just one game. Um, the thing that jumps out to me, uh, he only gets about two or three rebounds a game, and the kid's 6'8 or 6'9. Uh, mm-hmm. He's got to get more physical. He's got to go in there. He's got to get into the fight and, and do some stuff in that regard. Uh, you just can't be a satellite guy, as, as Mike Power would call them. Uh, so I was surprised by that. Uh, but everything else kind of went true to form, other than, like you said, the Cam Whitmore uh, drop. So, now, The thing that I thought was interesting, um, you know, Woj is the big guy that with the Woj bombs and everything like that, but Shams is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, before Woj got, you know, into ESPN, him and Shams were together. Mm-hmm. And Shams had put some stuff out there about Scoot, perhaps going number two mm-hmm. and so on FanDuel, that's where the money started to move yeah and so there were some people out there that were accusing shams of because he has a contract with FanDuel that he was making them money by doing that which i thought was kind of an interesting take on a lot of people's part yeah. um the other thing i thought was really interesting as well uh the lack of love for big men yeah. um if you go through and take a look uh, Sonogo, who played at Connecticut, I believe it was the Final Four's most outstanding player, did not get drafted. No. Uh, Drew Timmy, who mm-hmm. had a very, very prestigious collegiate career, did he also drafted. did not get drafted. Yeah. And I'm now I'm drawing a blank on the third big that didn't get drafted. That was kind of a oh, the guy from Kentucky. Was that the guy from T- yeah. Kentucky? He was from Kentucky, who was I think the National Player of the Year, um, not this year but the year before. And so those three guys didn't even get drafted. And so that was something else that stood out to me mm-hmm. a little bit about the draft as well was just a lack of love for the big man. But that kind of goes back to, you know, if you look at those three guys, are they Jokic-like? And mm-hmm. the answer would be a definitive, well, no, they're not. And I think mm-hmm. that's what Jokic has done is he has kind of changed the the model of what you want in a big man now. Mm-hmm. And so guys that do that back to the basket, can't shoot the three not great passers are are kind of going the way of the dodo bird yeah i think timmy will hook on somewhere i think he's just too smart i think his outside outside shot is improving i love his footwork i think you know i think he's got a kelly olenic type of career in him if he can mm-hmm. find the right situation you know you're talking about bigs another big that went very very late the second to last pick who i personally like trace jackson davis out of indiana you know, mm-hmm. another just big athletic dude that can run the floor, um, finishes Golden well. State. Yeah, yeah, went to Golden State. So uh, I was surprised with that. But, yeah, there wasn't a, a lot of fives that went. That lively kid from Duke went to um, Oklahoma City, drafted him, but they traded him to, to Dallas. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a lot of wings, a lot of shooters. Um so it's 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 interesting to to see that. So, um, and and I think that you know if you get a dude, if you, and when I'm talking dude, I'm talking Jokic and Bead uh, dudes, uh, Bams types. Uh, then you spend the capital on them. But it's kind of like running backs in the NFL. Uh, you can find a somebody to 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 take up. And again, kind of going back to the first half of our pod, Tony that analytics thing and people say if you're going to be a low post player and that's all you can do boy you better be really really efficient in the low post because you know all the math that everybody is is doing these days uh you have to you have to be really really good at that and if you don't have another 
a couple of tools in your in your tool chest, you're going to struggle at that next level, and and that's what MBA executives are looking for. Hundred percent, and you know the interesting thing that you mentioned there too was there wasn't a lot of reaches. I thought Jet, like you said, was the was by far the biggest reach. But the other thing that was brought up, um, Wimben Yama's teammate, and I'm I'm missing. I'm going to mispronounce Bilal his name. Anyway. Kulabali. Yes, he wasn't even on radars a year ago. Mm-hmm. Didn't start for the for this team until approximately midway through the year when their point guard got hurt. And then the next thing you know, he's a lottery pick. And so I don't know, just always, you know, you have that lightning in the bottle versus the tried and true thing. And then like you mentioned as well, you know, guys that put a lot of time in college about the only one I can think of that, that was rewarded for that was Hawkes. And I, I love the fit with him going to Miami. I do too. Um, but I also agreed with what you were talking about, too, about if you don't get drafted, sometimes being able to pick the team you go to can be a huge advantage because it could be the right fit for you where, you know, you could carve out a five, eight, 10 year NBA career and set yourself for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that if, if you're going to be the 50th pick overall unless you feel like it's like the perfect situation for you, it's better to just go undrafted and then you can say, I want to go to the Atlanta Hawks because I really feel like they need a guy like me, you know, type mm-hmm. of a deal. So, uh, How do you see the point guard's last name that was at K-State? Was it Newell? Marcus Newell or something like that? I, something like that, yeah. Anyway, he went to Toronto, which I think is a brilliant move on his part because – they're losing a guy who reminds me a little bit of him with Fred Van Vliet. If Fred goes elsewhere in free agency, I think he may stick there and have a very successful NBA career with Toronto, but that was a genius move on his part. Yep. Yep. So, um, I agree with you there, buddy. Um, where's Dame going? You know, the thing I look at with that whole relationship is I think both sides see it's over. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's gone its course. Yeah. But but here's the interesting thing. If you trade Dame, right, mm-hmm. they're going to have to give up a lot to get Dame. Yeah. So in giving up a lot to get Dame, are you making your team not even as talented as what Dame is leaving with the Trailblazers? Because they've got – the Trailblazers have some interesting pieces. Like if Jeremy Grant stays there, he's a nice player. Simmons is a nice player. Shaden Sharp has a lot of potential. Scoot Henderson is a really good player. And so let's say that you go to New or to New Jersey, I'm sorry, uh, Brooklyn. You go to Brooklyn, to the Nets. And, you know, you get all these draft picks and their young capital and stuff like that. If Dame goes to Brooklyn and they send all this package to, to Portland, is he going to a less talented situation than what it would be if he stayed in Portland? But I don't think either side really wants to be the one that starts for a lack of a better comparison, the divorce proceedings, Um, you know, and there's talk, you know, he really wants to go to Miami. I don't even know. I mean, there's so many different signals out there. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with that whole thing. You know, if if Dame were to demand a trade, that lessens what Portland could get for him. So he hasn't done that. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. I think Miami is the best fit. But he has to be careful, or he could end up in a situation worse than what he has in Portland. If I'm Portland, to borrow the phrase from Kevin O'Connor, I'm blowing it up. 
I'm 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 torching it, and I'm trading him for the best deal I can find, preferably to a contender. And and what I'll be doing here, Tony, is I, I for about twenty minutes before uh before we got on here, I got on the old ESPN trade machine, <clears throat> and. I came up with like four or five different trades, and I'll try to, to post them on here when, when this drops. Um, would you do this, Tony? Would you do this? Now, I agree. Miami is the best place for him to win now. But will it, is that the best place for the for Portland to trade him? It's got to work both ways. Um, yeah. Probably not. Brooklyn, they could probably get the most draft picks from. But... Dame probably isn't going to have as much of a chance to win right away. So here's a couple of things that I thought of. Um, and I this first one I actually heard on Bill Simmons. Carl Anthony Towns for Dame Lillard. I like that one. I, 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 who says Who says no? Dame can go there, team up with... Um, uh, uh, what's his name from from Hustle? Um, I can't. Edwards. Oh, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Those two are the two best. It's automatic. It's pretty much the best backcourt in the league. Just right there. Boom. Gobert can do Gobert things. They get some roll guys. Uh, they clear up all that space. They're going to be better defensively. Carl. Did Anthony you see Towns. that they just signed Naz Reed to a yeah deal? So, so, so it kind of makes me think. But that's not as far-fetched as maybe some people think. Is the money similar? Uh, yes, it, it was. Um, I took pictures of it, and so uh, it, it, the the money was very, very close uh, to fitting with one another. Um, and so basically, you could go straight up Carl Anthony Towns for Dame Lillard is is what it was. I should have I should have saved those. Um, so. I had that. You could go, and Carl Anthony Towns goes there for a year. It clear it let it clears the way for Scoot. It clears the way for uh, Anthony Simons. Um, you know, if they let's say they trade Dame to Miami for Tyler Hero, which would be kind of the two big pieces there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not going to play Tyler Hero um, ahead of. You know, it's it's just too many guards. I mean, if they're playing in the six four and under league, that's perfect. But they got every every good player that they have is is guards. So why why do it? So um, you know, Towns can kind of restart. Dame would have a chance. You'd have Lillard. You'd have Mike Connolly. You'd have Anthony Edwards uh, still on his rookie contract. Uh, you got Jaden McDaniels, who's a very good wing player. Um, you know, there's some things that you could do there. Um, towns can go to. I, I, if I were just Portland, I would find something. I would find something if I were Portland. That's just me. Um, I had a Ben Simmons for Dame Lillard straight up. Um, that worked out. Um, and I would maybe think about, you know, getting a, a crap. T- I would say, give us Ben Simmons and let's see what he can do over the next two years because we're not going to win a championship anyway. But you have to give us. Everything every that you first have. round pick. Yes, uh, you know every possible first round pick that you could possibly give us within reason. If Gobert got four, then we need six for for Lillard 
and let's see if we can resurrect Ben Simmons. He's again, his position isn't going to be redundant with with Scoot and all of these other guys. That was another one that I that I lobbed in there that would fit. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's options. I had a Utah one that I tried to make work. I was like, ah, that might work. I had one with the Clippers. How did I do that, Tony? Uh, not that you know, you weren't here. Uh, I had one with the Clippers, and I'll post it. Um, let's see if I can recreate it really quick. Uh, it was Dame for uh, Eric Gordon. Again, expiring contract. Marcus Morris, expiring contract. And, like, Robert Covington. So, you know, there'd be three adults in the room with this young team. Uh, it would help the Clippers. It would be Dame, Paul George, Kawhi, and fill in a bunch of guys. The Clippers have too many guys anyway. Portland can take those pieces and and sell them off and do some stuff. I, I would just, I would just look to clear space and get draft picks if I was Portland because you are not competing for a championship anytime soon, no matter what you do. You know, with the roster as constructed, they maybe could make the playoffs. They might be a, like a seven eight seed at best. Um, but yeah, they're not winning. They're not winning a title. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, that's 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 just me. So, um, how about Draymond Green? Where's he going, buddy? You know, I think he's going to end up back in Golden State because mm-hmm. where I, I think he's very loyal to Steph and Clay and and that that situation. Um, but one one to keep an eye out on Sacramento. Um, uh, that and that was my last twib topic of the day. What's going on in Sacktown? The relationship with Mike Brown, mm-hmm. um, and they are. I think a piece like him away because they're, you know, they're, they're four, they're four man last year. And I'm not knocking Harrison Barnes. He's had a really good NBA career, but Draymond would be a serious upgrade there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He would. And, uh, he would be a good piece that would be needed. Uh, Sacramento would love to take a little bit of the thunder away from the Northern California spotlight away from the warriors, if possible. Uh, I don't think Draymond's going to do it. I think Golden State, basically, by trading Jordan Poole last week, basically said, uh, no, Draymond. We're siding with you. Yeah, we're siding with you. Uh, just don't punch anybody else in the face, uh, <laughs> you know, please. Uh, but I think it's kind of ironic. Hey, by the way, when this guy punched this other guy in the face on our team, it kind of messed us up all year. Uh, that, that, yeah. that, that, that makes sense. I think that's 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 pretty logical. I don't know what you think, Tony, but I think that's logical. Uh, So I think Sacramento's up to something. Would you like a Kyle Kuzma? Here's the other thing that they're talking about for Sacramento. Like if they, let's say they don't get Draymond. How about like a Kyle Kuzma and Grant Williams smorgasbord and basically two dudes up there with Keegan. And and so you're, you you can rotate in your front line. Keegan Murray, Kuzma, and Grant Williams, and have that be your your three four rotation. I think that would be a pretty good fit with Fox Sabonis. Uh, you got Herder and Monk uh, as your two guards. I, I think that's a really good basketball team. I like the Grant Williams fit better there than mm-hmm. I do the Kyle Kuzma. Okay, um, you know, kind of like what we've talked about before. Every bad team has a leading scorer, and yeah. I'm not saying Kuzma was a leading scorer at. Washington last year because obviously they had Chris Stapps and they had Brad Beal as well. I just don't know if that's a great fit for what 
they're trying to do with with Kuzma. And again, I'm not trying to bash Kuzma. I'm just not a big a big fan of his game. But you know, I was was looking at something the other day. They were talking about three different pieces to fit in rather than one big piece like a Dame. And it was talking about Fred Van Vliet. I can't remember the other two that were out there, but you know, I, I like your option of hey, let's get a few pieces here for our money rather than one piece. Yeah. Well, it's it's like we talked about last week. It, it's the big two and quality depth. The yes. big two with six other dudes that you can trust. And mm-hmm. not the big three with, you know, let's say a Hail Mary and hopefully this works out. You know, that's what recent NBA history has taught us. And, and so um, I like that for Sacramento. That would be, that would give them seven or eight guys that would be solid. You know, they're not, they're not going to suck with those seven or eight guys. And it was, it was Houston and whether they should sign James Harden. And the guy was, Bobby Marks was saying, no, they should go Van Vliet, Bruce Brown. And I cannot remember the shooting guard that he had going there, but they were going to take three pieces to Houston. Like you mentioned earlier, three adults at the table Mm -hmm. that would be able to help this young core because they've got some really good young pieces, but you've got to have some guys that can go in there and kind of mentor them. It's going to drive me crazy that I cannot think of who the shooting guard was that Bobby Marks had going there instead of spending 40 plus million on Harden, divide that up amongst Bruce Brown, Fred Van Vliet, and I cannot think of who the other guy is right now. Well, just wait until we're done recording, and then you'll think of it. So I'll text it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I I think that one of the failures of the process, as they say, they, they didn't have any adults in the room that were going to help the young guys. This is how you be a professional. You know, Fred Van Vliet could go in there, and I like that for, like, Houston. Jalen Green, here's how to be a pro. Here's what it takes to play winning basketball at this level. Uh, you know Jabari Smith and and all, and all of these, and they have they have collected quite the cachet of really really talented young players. But now they need they need Crash Davis from Bull Durham to show Nuke Lelouch how to be a pro. You know, uh, and and that is that is an invaluable part of bridging the gap in the rebuild process and i think that's where houston is now at if i were portland i would i again i would just bottom out have have scoot have simons have um uh who's that young that that six 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 seven kid that they had um, from kentucky yeah the sharp kid yeah shaden sharp hey let's go figure it out We'll get one or two, but we kind of want to. We kind of want to stink right now. Let's clear off our cap space, and because you're again, you're just not going anywhere. So Dylan Brooks was the other guy. Dylan Brooks, Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, and uh, Bruce Brown Bruce were the Brown. three. Instead of one piece of Harden, go those other three pieces. He mm-hmm. thought would be better. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it right now, Tony. I think. Bruce Brown will stay in Denver. I think he's going to stay in Denver with a little wink, wink. Hey, play for us one more year 
for eight million, and then next year we're going to get you fifteen, sixteen million, and we're going to figure this out. And it might even be more because Michael Porter's back may explode at any point here. And we want to keep you here. We think you're really, really valuable. You know that type of thing. Uh, that's the pitch I would give him. But I'm not in charge, so. One day you may be. It, it could happen. It could happen. If a pen and a napkin really, really takes off, Denver Nuggets, if you're listening, I'm ready to be your GM. So <laughs> I, I, I did tell Carla if we ever – like, you know, when the when the lottery gets to like $780 million, mm-hmm. I'm like I, – I, I have told Carla, I want to be like a minority owner of an NBA team. You know, I just want to buy 5% of the Milwaukee Bucks or something like that. Um, she's not as excited about that as I am. I can't understand why. But, I don't either. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll just donate some money to Cedar Rapids Kennedy High School. Sweet. <laughs> so, uh, anything else this week, buddy? I'm just looking forward to the, the free agency thing. Yep. See what happens there. It's kind of the crazy, the fun season, like I told you. I love to coach, but my dream job would be not necessarily a minority owner. I want to be like a GM or an, an assistant GM. Yeah. Well, why don't why don't we why don't we start lobbying the NBA teams to hire us? We already got stuff out there to both Milwaukee and, and Denver. You mentioned both of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chicago, or is that too big of a area? Uh, too big of a city for us to live in? I think it's too big. I want to go Denver or Milwaukee. Okay, all right. Denver, Maybe San Antonio. See if we can get some pieces around Victor. Yeah, yeah. We could we could do that. Yeah. Well, hey, we'll just take over for Pop. <laughs> Yeah, greatest coach of all time to us. There's no drop off there. <laughs> like a marble rolling off a table. That's how big the drop off is. <laughs> all right, episode number 45 Analytics versus the eye test. A lot of really good things that Tony and I have chatted about here this week. Uh, if you have any questions for us, let us know. Uh, you know how to get a hold of us at this point at Tony Davis, at a pen and a napkin, at pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed this episode. We'll be back for more next week. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.